Amen. Well, welcome to Infinite Part 7. We are almost home uh, as we've looked through uh, eight of these greatest stories forever told. And, and we are pumped to next week finish up with, uh, with the greatest story forever told on Easter Sunday. So a few things to tell you about before we get started this morning. First of all, uh, today, you, you've actually got a card on your, sh- your chair. Uh, I think it's a pink card, which kind of lays out some serving opportunities this week. Um, we've got some good problems. Pro- Book of Proverbs talks about how where, though, where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but much work is done through the strength of the ox. Well, uh, w- what I take that to mean is as a church grows, there's going to be some stuff. There's going to be some junk. There's going to be some challenges that arise. And we've had a really good problem arise. Uh, we have too many babies for our babies class. Uh, so people are uh, being fruitful and multiplying, uh, and, and it's a great thing. So what we're actually going to do to solve that for right now is we're going to switch classrooms between our main street, which is our elementary age, and our babies and toddlers age, uh, just because we've got a lot more kids in the younger group right now than the older. Um, and so in order to make sure we have enough space for everybody next week, because Easter Sunday, this place will be packed. Uh, it's just the way that it works. There's a lot of people who come to church on Easter who don't normally go to church. So we want to make sure we have enough room for everybody next week. So we're going to make that switch today. So if you have uh, some time this afternoon right after church, we're going to be from noon to 3 doing our Kids City Moving Day. We're going to be moving supplies, um, and we're also going to be repainting the rooms so that the rooms have the right color scheme for the right age group. Uh, we will provide lunch for you. I know this is a last-minute announcement, and you didn't come to church expecting this today. So if you've got stuff going on, that's totally understandable. But if you've got one of those Sunday afternoons that is wide open and you could spend a, a couple of hours helping us out, we would greatly appreciate that. Um, also on your sheet, you see our Mission OB opportunities. Mission OB is uh, this week, April 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. And Mission OB is our, our program, our opportunity, our ministry to get out of the walls of the church and out into the community. And so we're doing a, a variety of things Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Thursday is pretty much get the word out day. So Thursday, we're going to go out and, and kind of advertise the things that we're doing Friday and Saturday. So if you're really scared to talk to somebody about Jesus, Thursday is a great day for you because all we're going to be doing is handing out flyers. It's, a, it's the easiest, least intimidating day. It's a good way to kind of get the ball rolling and get started. Friday, we're doing a Good Friday service in the park. So that's for our church as well as the community. We're going to be advertising that so you can come and worship with us. The service starts at 7. If you want to serve, help us get set up for us. Set up starts at 5. And we are doing a Kid City Easter egg hunt at 6.15. So all that's going on Friday night. So kids, make sure your kids are here. I'd have them here by 6 so that they're ready to start because the the Easter egg hunt starts right at 6.15. So we got a lot going on Friday night. Um, And then Saturday is our big serve day. Uh, right here in our parking lot primarily, we're doing our clothing giveaway. If you've got more clothes that you want to bring in, either kids' clothes or men's clothes primarily, because women's clothes are hooked up. Uh, we, are, we are in good shape on the women's side. But if you've got kids' clothes or men's clothes, you can bring those in any of these dates uh, between now and Saturday, uh, and we will be handing those out. We'll also be doing a free car wash. We're also doing free haircuts, which I'm really excited about adding that on. Um, we've got a couple of other projects that if we've got enough manpower, we'll be able to do as well. So. Uh, if you can possibly make make some time for us um, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday, or if you want to do all the above. Somebody asked me today, is there a limit on how much Mission OBI can do? No, there is no limit. You can come to all of those. We would love to have you at all of those if you have the time. I understand most people may not have all the, the opportunity to do all, but come and help us love our community, reach our city 
by reaching one. Um, so this is going on leading up to Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday is going to be uh, a ton of fun. We are really excited. We've been putting some stuff together for, for a while. Like Jimmy mentioned, we have a gift for everybody next Sunday, so don't miss out on that. Um, the following Sunday, uh, April the 12th, we are doing water baptisms. So if you haven't been baptized in water yet and, and you are a believer and follower in Jesus, you say, hey, I want to follow the example of Christ. I want to follow his command and get baptized in water. You can get signed up right out here at the Connection Center, uh, or you can check the box on your connection card uh, and just leave that on your seat. Make sure you fill out the card and, and let us know. Uh, and We would love to, to help you to take that step. We'll be in touch with you and explain to you what all that looks like. And then finally, that same Sunday, April the 12th, we're kicking off a brand new series that I am really excited about. Um, we are uh, have seen in our counseling with people from the church uh, a lot of challenges uh, when it comes to the area of sex. Uh, we've seen a lot of our adults, older married couples, who aren't having sex and have all kinds of marriage problems because of it. And we've seen younger people who aren't married who are having sex and are having all kinds of problems because of it. Um, and, and the church has kind of always taken this approach that, that sex is offensive, that sex is, is negative, that, that we need to man, stay away from it and protect from it. But the crazy thing is the Bible doesn't really take that approach. Uh, the Bible takes a, a pretty positive approach when it comes to sex, at least as it comes inside of marriage. And so instead of looking at sex as offensive, we want to play offense. And so we're going to spend a few weeks starting April 12th talking about offensive sex, how we can empower you uh, to not just be saved from impurity, but God doesn't just put rules on sex to keep us from something. He puts rules on sex to keep us for something. Uh, he wants it to be blessed. He wants it to be a blessing for us. And so we want to play offense so that you can learn what does God's word really have to say about sex? How can it bless your marriage, your relationship? If you're not married yet, this is a fantastic series for you to come be a part of, to discover how to set yourself up for success in your marriage, how to keep yourself pure now. Really, really, really excited about this series. I, uh, we are further ahead on this series than I think any series we've ever done. Uh, we, we are really prepared for this and excited to empower you uh, in this area of sex. So that starts April the 12th. So I know we got a lot going on, um, but that's a good thing, isn't it? Man, it's exciting to be a, a part of a church that's doing something, that's involved, that's engaged. So exciting to see so many people involved and serving, and I'm so grateful for each of you. You, you probably noticed when you came in, there's a communion cup, uh, a little communion kit actually in your seat. We are going to be taking communion together at the end of our service today. So be prepared and ready for that. Uh, but before we get there, we want to talk about the prodigal son. You've already seen this story illustrated in a, a really cool, creative way in our video today. But, but we want to turn to scripture and not just have some fun with it. We want to see what the Bible says. But to start out, I'm just going to summarize the first probably third of the story for you. If you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 has three parables in it. And each of the parables concerns something being lost. We see something is lost, and we see someone who is passionate about finding and restoring the lost. And that someone is symbolic of our Father. And it's the, the thing that I love so much about this chapter. Of all the chapters that are full of parables, Luke 15 is easily my favorite. We actually did a whole series on this story last spring called Prodigal. Uh, if you're interested in, in finding out more, because we're not going to go very in-depth today at all. If you want to dig into this story and really find out the background of the story and the customs in this story, I really recommend you check out our podcast from last year. Just go look um, in last March and look for Prodigal. Uh, you will really enjoy it. So uh, the story begins with a wealthy family. Wealthy family, uh, a father 
with two sons. And there's three characters in the story. There's the father uh, and there's the two sons. There's the older son who is the responsible, reliable, hardworking son. And there's the younger son who is not. Uh, he's the son who, who wants everything now. He's, I think, a great symbol for our generation, the generation that we live in, the culture we live in, because he doesn't want to wait for the thing that is rightfully his, for his inheritance. He wants it today. And so he figures this thing out that, hey, my dad's rich, and one day dad's going to die. And when he's rich and he dies, that means I'm going to be rich. But what if I could be rich now? What if I could have all of that today? What if I didn't have to wait for dad to die because maybe dad's healthy and he'll be around for a while? Maybe I can find a way. So he goes to his dad, has all the audacity in the world to go to his father and say, hey, I want my inheritance today. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what goes through the father's mind. Um, I've got some theories and some ideas on, on how the father would probably react to that. But it doesn't say what he thinks or what he feels. What it does tell us is he responds. And he honors this awful request of this son. And he says, okay, here you go. He writes him a check or however they did it in that day and age. And he hands him one-third of the inheritance because the older son is entitled to the double portion the younger son gets a third so the younger son gets the, his his portion of his father's wealth and it says that he goes out and he begins to squander it and what the bible calls wild living now we don't know exactly what wild living entails some of you might have a past where you're like i could tell you what wild living entails um i, I picture it kind of like like vegas uh like mardi gras or something like he's just out there having all the fun in the world, finding out everything that the world has to offer, um, engaging in probably some pretty gross and awful sin. And in the midst of all this, uh, he apparently is financing a bunch of people around him to engage in this type of sin, whether that be drugs or, or alcohol or prostitution or whatever it is, he's paying the bill for everybody else to party. And so that massive amount of wealth that his father gave him dries up pretty quickly. And so we see this, this son go from living high on the hog to now actually feeding pigs. Uh, and that's the only job he can find. And that job in this culture was, was the lowest of the low. You see, in, to a Jew, pigs were unclean. A Jew wouldn't touch a pig, wouldn't, wouldn't raise a pig, wouldn't take care of a pig, wouldn't do anything for a pig. And so when Jesus tells the story and he says he goes out there feeding pigs, he's not just saying he went out to farm. He went out to say that he has lost every shred of dignity, every shred of honor, everything that he swore. I am better than that because I've been raised well, because I have money. I'm never going to do those things. Now he's jumped to the lowest possible point he can come to. And it says there as he's out there feeding the pigs that this young son looks at the feed that he is giving the pigs, looks at the slop he is giving to these creatures and says, I wish I had some of that how poor he is that's how deep his poverty has gotten him that's how awful the stain of sin in his life that now he wishes he could have the thing that probably just a few months before he would have never even considered and so there we find him at rock bottom we find him at the lowest of the low and so the first thing i want you to see from this story before we get into the scripture is this is what you think you want isn't always what you think it is. This kid so badly wanted his freedom, wanted his inheritance, wanted his money. He wanted it so bad 
that he had the audacity to go and insult his father and basically tell dad, I wish you were dead. I wish I could have my inheritance today. He wanted it so badly that he was willing to sever relationship with a dad who we find in the story is he's a good dad. This isn't an abusive father. His dad is not some hard man. His dad is not a hard person to be around. This is a good dad. It's the kind of dad that you and I would love to have. It's the kind of dad I would love to be. That's the dad that he has, and yet he so badly wants this thing that he's willing to sacrifice his fellowship with his dad. He's willing to sacrifice relationship with everyone around him so that he can take this money, and it says he goes off to a far-off land. He goes as far away from where he is as he can get, and yet he discovers the thing that he wanted wasn't really what he thought it was. Some of us in this room can probably identify. Man, there's something that you wanted. There's something that seemed so great in the natural, in the flesh. There's something that you had such great desire for, and you made sacrifices to get it. Sacrifice of relationship, sacrifice of finance, sacrifice of integrity, sacrifice of character, sacrifice of reputation. You gave up something to get there, and once you finally got there, you realized it's not really what it's cracked up to be. It's not really the thing that I wanted after all. I've got a a humorous, well, slightly humorous, version of this for myself funny in that you can laugh at me how stupid I was um thank you I when I was a a senior in high school I was given uh some great scholarship opportunities and because of those opportunities my parents thought well hey we're not gonna have to foot the bill for college so we will bless you and buy you a car for graduation so my parents bought me a, a Dodge Stealth which if you don't know what a Dodge Stealth is it's at the time that they existed, they've, they've been discontinued. Uh, at the time they existed, they were kind of in the vein of like a, a Camaro or a Mustang, kind of a, a comparable type vehicle. So I was stoked about this Dodge Stealth. It was red, and it was fast, and it was pretty, and, you know, I liked it. Uh, so I, I was given this and, and very excited for it. And so not only did I get that for graduation, I was so blessed that my grandparents who, on my mom's side, who, who are now passed away, they actually also wrote me a check for $1,000 for my high school graduation. I had never had probably more than 120 bucks in my life. And here I've got this check for $1,000. And so I decided to do the wise thing, to do the smart thing, to take that check and to buy some brand new wheels for my car with it. One of the stupidest decisions I could have ever made. I look back and there's so many better things I could have done for, to set myself up for success in college than to get 17-inch aluminum wheels on my Dodge Stealth. But that was a decision I made. So the wheels cost about 800 bucks, uh, and then with the tires, it ended up being, I think, like 1300 So I had some other money from making burritos at Taco Bell that I set aside. And I went in, and I got my brand-new wheels. I got my brand-new tires, and I was the man. I loved that car. I was so proud of that car. I thought I was the stuff. Uh, but what turned out happening, what I didn't foresee is those little bitty low-profile tires are extremely durable. Uh, and so those $500 a set of tires, I ended up buying, I don't know, like six sets of tires within two years. One, because I was a bad driver. Two, because I was a stupid driver. But three, because those tires weren't very good. Uh, and so this thing where I thought, hey, I'm going to look good. I'm going to have this. I just started burning through money. I mean, burning through cash. Uh, not only did I do that, but my transmission went out. In the four years that I had it, the transmission went out three times. Uh, and that was not due to bad driving. I turned, came to find out that was one of the reasons why the Stealth no longer exists, because their transmissions were awful. Uh, and so that was about $2,000 a pop each time to fix it. Uh, and I was still making burritos. 
Uh, you got to make a lot of burritos to pay for a $2,000 transmission. Uh, th that's a lot of time saying welcome to Taco Bell. Uh, so this car that I thought was, was the dream, these wheels that I thought were it, this thing that was going to give me this, this image and this look, and I was going to go off to college and step up on campus and be the man, ended up being this massive curse in my life. What you think you want isn't always what you think it is. And so many of us have had those things, whether they be physical, material things, or, or a, a place in society, or whatever it is that we desired, and come to find out it wasn't really what we thought. But here's the beautiful thing that we see in this story, the prodigal son. God can use the thing that you thought you wanted to show you what you really need. God can use what we think we want to help us see what we really need. And so the prodigal son discovers that the thing that he wanted wasn't what he wanted after all. And what he really needed was his dad. What he really needs is, is to be restored to his father. And so he doesn't actually aspire to be fully restored. He just wants to come be back in his house. And so in this story, we'll see how God takes the circumstance of the younger son and paints the picture of this is what you really need. Can you imagine if the prodigal son hit this point of being out there and, and feeding the pigs and he began to think, this is it, this is all that there is, I'm stuck here. How many of us have known somebody who hit rock bottom like the prodigal son did, but instead of coming to their senses, which is what it says about the prodigal son, and returning home, they hit rock bottom and they think that's it. I've blown it, it can never be fixed, it can never be undone, this is who I am now. Aren't you grateful, as dumb as we can look at this kid and as many mistakes as we can see that he makes, Aren't you grateful that when he finally comes to that lowest of the low point that he realizes there's something better and I need to go find it? Don't you dare believe that the point that you may be, the lowest point you may be in in your marriage, that low point you may be in in your relationships, that rut you may find yourself stuck in financially, don't you dare let the enemy tell you that's it, that you're stuck, that it'll never get better. Because I bet you, you're not as low as this kid was in this story. You're not out there feeding pigs and wishing you could eat what they have. You haven't come quite that low yet. And so if you haven't hit that low and yet he went that low and still could see there's a better future for me. There's an opportunity for me to get out of this thing. That there's a God who loves me, who would allow me to have something better than this thing that I brought upon myself. If he could see that, I want to encourage you with that today as well. Don't believe that it's the end just because... You've been stuck. Luke chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 17 as we read the last two-thirds of the story together. It says, when he came to his senses, one of my favorite phrases in scripture, he said, how many of my father's hired certain servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to be with his father. But while he was still a long way off, another amazing phrase, isn't it? While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer to be worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead 
and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The, the first point I want you to write down out of this story today, the first thing that I think we must discover is that, number one, when we move, God runs. When we move, God runs. Isn't this a beautiful truth illustrated here? Can you imagine how this interaction must have gone? Have you ever had to confess something to somebody? Have you ever had to apologize to somebody for something? I can just imagine this kid coming in, and, and, and he sees his dad running to him and kind of lowers his eyes and kind of puts his hands in his pockets, and he's like, yeah, so uh, I don't know if you know it or not, but I, I kind of been away for a little while, and uh, maybe you didn't notice, but uh, I'm hoping maybe I could come back and maybe work for you. And I, I can just imagine, you know, like how hard it is to repent. Have you ever had to do that? Have you ever had to go to somebody and look them in the eye and be like, I blew it? It's not easy. It doesn't come natural, especially for a kid like this who probably was pretty entitled. It was probably pretty easy to, to perceive this kid was a little bit of a spoiled brat, had a little bit of an entitlement mindset. And so for somebody like that to come in and say, Dad, I blew it. I'm sorry. I'm wrong. I, the strength that he had to muster had to be pretty massive. Um, when I had first started here at City Church, in fact, it was called Church on the Horizon, then I was hired on as the youth pastor. And the pastor who hired me, the, pa the man who started this church, his name was Jason Delgado. And, and Pastor Jason uh, brought me on staff, and, and very early on in my time here, in fact, just a couple months in, he called us to a Daniel fast. Uh, and so he set this thing up, and hey, we're going to do a Daniel fast, and basically said, you're on staff. You're going to do this. You don't have a choice. Uh, we're going to do this. All of our staff, we're going to walk through this together. Um, and so I'd never done a Daniel fast, and, and I started, and, and I was trying, and uh, I was single at the time, so now I can do a Daniel fast because I have my wife who's amazing and comes up with recipes and ideas and is very supportive and encouraging. Uh, so I did it, and I made it. I don't even remember. I think I probably made it two days into this thing, uh, and, and I was dying. Uh, I was so hungry. Basically, I couldn't have meat, and I'd you know, probably never gone two days without meat to this point. So uh, I, I cheated on my Daniel fast, and I went to a restaurant, and I ordered something, and, and I, I made it like I didn't just have the best of the best. Like I still downsized what I could get, but I just had to have meat. And so I had this, and it was like, like the most guilty like moment of my life as I ate this thing. I just knew you know, I was sinning before the Lord. Uh, and so the next day, I come into the office, and I'm just guilt all over right? Like everybody else is doing this. They're suffering together. And I'm the punk who, who took the shortcut. And so finally, after a few hours, I was like, okay, I got to go tell Pastor Jason. So I knock on his office door. Hey, you busy? Uh, can I come in for a second? So I come in. I'm like, yeah, so how's it going? Uh, what about the ball game? You know, trying to make small talk. And finally, uh, I'm like looking down at the floor the whole time. I'm like, so, uh, I know you just hired me, and I know you, you know, like you thought I was a good choice, and now you're going to find out it was a terrible decision because uh, I cheated on my Daniel fast already, and I know it's only two days in, and I'm a horrible person, and I'm going to hell. Uh, <laughs> and he was so gracious and so compassionate. He's like, man, you made it two days. That's more than you've ever done before. And instead of beating me and kicking me while I was down, which is what I expected, man, he picked me back up. He said, you know what, next year you're going to go a lot further. Next year you're going to make it. And I can stand before you today, and I've done what, like the last four years. I've done 21 days of a Daniel fast. Th that, that low point that I was at didn't define my future, but so much of that was because I, I was able to confess to somebody like the father in this story 
who didn't look for the moment to tell me all the mistakes that I made and everything that I'd done wrong and how awful I was. But he looked for the little moment to encourage me, for the opportunity to build me back up. And, and so I just imagine what this young kid was going through as he comes home, how much courage it had to take for him to repent to his dad, for him to admit and acknowledge that he was wrong. But he comes home, and even though he's so timid, he takes the step, and his father's response is amazing. And as he confesses, instead of dad saying he can't come home, instead of dad saying all the things he'd done wrong, what, what's dad's response? Throws a party. He says, let's celebrate. Why? Because when we move, God runs. When we take one step back towards him, God's eyes are scanning your life. They are looking to and fro, and he's just waiting. For you to take a step towards him. He says, I came. I've already done the hard part. I already sent my son Jesus to die for you. I've already put the ball in your court. And all I need from you is a step. All I need from you is a change of direction. All I need to see is that you would move towards me. And as you move towards me, I'm running for you. Aren't you glad we serve a God like that? Last week we saw it in our story with Peter. Peter steps out of the boat and he begins to walk on the water. And as he walks towards Jesus... He gets distracted, and he sees the waves, and he sees the storm, and he begins to sink. And it says, immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and lifted him up. When we move, God runs. He responds quickly. James 4.8 says that when I draw near to God, he draws near to me. If you're far from God today, can I tell you, it doesn't take three months of fasting and prayer for God to consider having a conversation with you. It doesn't take going and fixing every mistake you've ever made for him to say, okay, now I'll consider your request. All it takes is a step. All it takes is a move of your heart towards him. All it takes is a moment of repentance where you recognize the mistakes that you've made and you say, God, I can't get to where I want to be without you. God, I can't be who I want to be without you. God, I'm sorry. And as we move towards him, he runs towards us. He runs to restore us. He runs to bring us back to the highest place that we once were. This kid thought he'd never get back to being a son. I can't ask to be a son anymore. I, I told dad I wish he was dead. The best I could ever hope for is to be his servant. The best I could ever hope for was to work for him and for maybe to be treated well as a servant, as a slave. But dad says, you're not a slave, you're a son. I love it. And that's the God we serve. If you're not familiar with the story, the father in the story is representative of God the father. That's the God who created you. That's the God who loves you. That's the God who sent his son to die for you. The God who immediately restores and throws a party. When we move, God runs. Charles Spurgeon, who, who's one of the greatest theologians in the history of our faith, certainly in the English language, said this. He said, slower the steps of repentance, but swift are the feet of forgiveness. God can run where we scarcely limp, and if we are limping towards him, he will run towards us. What an awesome God we serve. Slow are the steps of repentance. It's hard to humble ourselves and repent sometimes, isn't it? But swift are the feet of forgiveness. When we finally summon the courage, when we finally turn back to him, his restoration comes swiftly. It comes quickly. His love is overwhelmingly abundant, and his presence in your life can cover over any sin, any mistake, any bad decision, any poor season, any rut, any funk, any junk you're going through. He'll cover it. It's amazing. It should be refreshing for us 
to know this. It doesn't just apply to us in a, in a spiritual sense. I believe that it also applies in a practical sense. Maybe your, your finances are, are at a bad place right now. Maybe they're, they're in a wreck. And, and you don't even know how to get from where you are to, to where you can be generous, to where you can honor God's word and begin to give. I believe that if you simply start taking some steps, put together a new budget, start, start moving, eliminating some things. We got to a place where we were in, in a bad shape in debt. We got rid of cable. It was the funnest decision. I love sports. I want to see all of them. Uh, that's a hard thing for me to do, to give those up. Uh, but, but we knew, hey, if we're going to get from where we are to where God wants us to be, it's going to require some sacrifice. And so we took that simple step, and we eliminated some things. We cut some things out of our budget. And, and it's been amazing to see how God has rushed into our finances since then. The things that God's done, the blessings that he's poured out in our life, the, the, the debt that we've retired. We have no more credit card debt. We, we've got no medical debt. We've been able to do some incredible things, make some amazing progress simply from taking some basic steps. Uh, so if you make some steps, maybe there's a relationship in your life that's severed. And, and maybe it's severed because of something that other person did and, and you're just harboring bitterness and unforgiveness towards them. All it may take to fix that relationship, to mend it, is for you to go and repent for your un unforgiveness. Now, when I say go repent, don't go and repent. I've been really bitter at you, and, and I'm sorry, but. Never, ever repent, I'm sorry, but. Eliminate I'm sorry, but from your vocabulary. Make it I'm sorry that. They don't need an explanation. They don't need to understand what you were going through and how your emotions were. Just I'm sorry that I've treated you this way. I'm sorry that I felt this way about you. I'm sorry that I did this thing to you. Just give them I'm sorry that. And that simple step is going to open the door for God to begin to move in the restoration of that relationship. Sometimes it will happen immediately. Sometimes it may be a process. It may take some time. But when we move, we serve a God who runs. Amen? Amen. At the end of this passage, we, we get into the last section of the story, and we find out more about the Father. We find out that he's not just a God who meets us immediately, which is awesome. But there's more to him than that. He says, not just I'm out here and I've met with you, son. I, not just I saw you and I ran to you. But once he meets him, he says, bring out a ring, bring out some sandals, bring out a robe, and kill the fattened calf. He begins to bring things for his son. And so we discover that our God brings his best, that our God has a heart of a bringer. So God was about bringing his best, and if he was about bringing his best, I believe that we should be about bringing our best to God. Next Sunday, as we prepare for Easter, we're bringing our best. Man, our worship team is bringing its best. They, they've been preparing. They've been putting stuff together. They're putting stuff together for Good Friday, for our service in the park Friday night. Man, they're bringing their best. As, as we serve, as you're in first impressions and you're greeting people at the door uh, and you're running out to meet people at the car with an umbrella uh, in the rain, man, you're bringing your best. Man, as you're in Kid City and you're serving and you get down on a knee as a kid comes in and you high-five them and you give them a hug and you get on their level, you're bringing your best. I believe that God has called us to bring our best, not just to church, but, but partially when it comes to our church service, when it comes to our worship, that God's called us to bring a heart of worship when we gather together, but not just when we gather, when we're home by ourselves, that we're called to worship, to honor him. I believe that God is a God who brings his best and that we cannot be the father in this story. God will always be the father in this story. That's not our role. We're usually one of the two sons, and both the sons have issues. Uh, that's us. But we can't be the father, but we can have the father's heart. We can begin to develop the father's heart. We can begin to allow the father's heart to take root in us. And just as he brings his best, we can begin 
to bring our best as, as we bring ourselves, but not just ourselves, but we have the opportunity to bring people to Easter service. Now, here at City Church, we don't believe that bringing people to church is the be-all and the end-all of evangelism at all. We believe that we each have a responsibility to play to tell people about Jesus. We, we do not ever want to create a culture where all you got to do is bring people to church and the, the professionals, the people who are important, they'll get them saved. That's not the Bible. That's not Christianity. All of us have a part to play when it comes to, to going out and sharing our faith. And we want to raise up people and train people to do that. And that's much more our focus. However, we also live in a culture where studies show there are four times a year, especially in the South, where people are most drawn to come to church. And two of those times, uh, they are specifically, especially drawn to come to church. One of those is Christmas, and one of them is Easter. Uh, and because we live in the South, and so many people maybe grew up in church, maybe grew up as Christians, maybe they have no evidence of God in their life, there's something in them that says, I'm supposed to be in church on those days. Uh, and so I believe that, that if you were going to be a missionary, if you were going to go out and, and work reaching the, the Hindu in India, or you were going to reach the, the tribesmen in uh, Nigeria, or you were going to go out and, and minister to, to the atheist in France, wherever God sent you, whatever ministry he called you to, whatever people who are far from God that he, that he placed on your heart, whether it be the Buddhist in Tibet, whether it be the, the Muslim in Indonesia, it doesn't matter. Wherever God sent you, you're going to study the culture and find out how do I reach the people in this culture. It's, it's ministry, missionary 101. Well, in this culture, people go to church on Easter. They may not want you to come to their house and tell them about Jesus before Easter, but they will maybe come to church with you. And so we need to leverage and take advantage of the fact that in our culture, this works. Now, if God sends you on the mission field, it's not going to work if you go somewhere else that doesn't have the, the, the southern culture. Uh, so I'm not saying just bring people to church. But this is an awesome opportunity for us to reach people, people who are far from God, people who maybe aren't far from God. Maybe they love God, but they're far from church. They don't have a church family. Um, I want to tell you a story. I, I talked with somebody this week. And it's actually somebody in this room, but I'm not going to say their name because I didn't get permission with them from them to share the story. I know they'd let me, but uh, it's an amazing story. You'll maybe even be able to figure out who I'm talking about. Um, somebody in third grade, years and years ago, brought another third grader to church here. It was actually Church on the Horizon at the time. And those two third graders really got into it, and they really loved it. And so that third grader who was brought by her friend, she ended up bringing her parents to church. Uh, and her parents didn't have a church. They didn't have a church home. They actually had kind of different church backgrounds. Very, their denominational background was far apart, and they hadn't found something that really fit for both of them. And, and yet they came here, and, and it worked. And God began to move in their life and began to bless their marriage. And so because one little third-grade girl brought her friends, this whole family was able to find a church home. But it didn't stop there. That family went out and brought a sister and a sister's family and then another sister and another sister's family and a brother and a brother's family. And then one of the sister's daughters brought a boyfriend. And the boyfriend brought his family. And, and there's like at least six families who have been directly impacted because one third grade girl brought a friend to church. That's the power of God. That's the amazing thing that God can begin to do when we have his heart. God's a bringer. And he brings his best. And one little third grader said, I'm going to bring my friend. I'm going to tell my friend about this church. I'm going to tell him about Kid City. Now, again, that's not, the, that's not it. That's not the, the place that we're called to be where we just bring people to church. It's more than that. We're called to evangelize. We're called to share our faith. We're called to share our testimony. But don't underestimate what God can do when you bring somebody. Don't underestimate the potential that God may be able to do something in someone's life. As we gather together, as we worship, the Bible says that God's presence shows up. 
And there's something that some people maybe aren't going to respond to the gospel at at Starbucks. Maybe they're not going to respond to the gospel over dinner. But, man, they're going to respond when they begin to see God's people worship. I'm not saying everybody. I'm not saying that's it. It's not. But it is a part of the process, I believe, in reaching a community. And I believe that God's a bringer and he brings his best. And so, number two, when we bring, God moves. I believe that just as when we move, God runs, when we bring, God moves. I believe that that when you take the step, when you take the courage, when you find the faith to step out and tell somebody, hey, I want to bring you to church. I want to allow you to come be a part of this with me. I believe that God will show up and bless that thing. We'll finish the story here, verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So the father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours is dead, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. A couple things I want you to see here. First of all, I think it's awesome we serve a God that celebrates when the lost come home. If we're going to develop the Father's heart, we've got to be people who celebrate, man, who embrace, who are thrilled when somebody comes back. Can I just tell you that if, if, past trends here at City Church hold true, there's going to be some people who are far from God who get saved next week. And when that happens, would you join me in celebrating the roof off this place? Will you go crazy? Because I believe they go crazy in heaven. I believe that God's parties are the best parties. Uh, And not only do I believe that, I want to see heaven full. I want God's party to be the biggest party. And that's where we all have a part to play in populating heaven and plundering hell. And so we want to go out and we want to get them. We want to grab them. Once again, there's times where our culture is most responsive. Those times are Easter Sunday, Christmas, the beginning of the year. Everybody's making resolutions. I'm going to get back in church. I'm going to get this thing right and back to school. Those are the four times. We're not a just bring people to church all the time. We're not constantly pumping up, bring people, bring people, bring people. But we will pump up at the times where it works in our culture because we believe we've got a responsibility to to populate heaven, to fill the place up. And we believe this is a a very clear way that we can do it. So uh, I want to challenge you. you got five invite cards in your seat. And I know sometimes we get just put invite cards out there just to make a resource for you. And you're probably like, okay, I'm never going to use these things. Whatever. That's fine. I get it. Use these. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want to challenge you with five people for you to bring next Sunday. I want to lay out who these people are, and I believe all of us have these people in our life. And so I know you got a week, so I'm gonna, you're going to have to jump on it. You're going to have to allow God to speak to you today and begin to show you, okay, who are these people in my life that I'm going to go out and I'm going to bring to Easter service. Now, I'm not saying if you don't show up with these five people, you can't come to service next week. I mean, you know, we're, we're not doing that. But what I am saying is, is allow the Holy Spirit to enlighten your heart with who these people might be that you could bring to next week. So number one person to bring to Easter service next week is somebody who's far from God. Somebody that you know, you're you on their Facebook page, you follow them on Twitter, they are far from God. It is clear, it is evident, the prodigal son. Man, who is that prodigal son? Maybe he's not your son. Maybe it is your son. 
But somebody who's far from God in your life, somebody that you know there is no evidence of the work of God, of the power of God in their life, that's first and foremost. That's the person who we want to reach more than anybody else. Find somebody who's far from God. Number two person to bring is somebody who loves God but doesn't have a church family. I don't think just because somebody doesn't have a church means that they're, they're far from God. Uh, I do think that having a church family is necessary if we're going to continue to pursue everything that God has for us. If we're going to walk in the best that God has for us, I believe that we're all called to, to make a difference. We're all called to use our gifts, to speak into others' lives. And so maybe you've got some people in your life that genuinely love God, genuinely have a relationship with Jesus, but for whatever reason, they just haven't found the right fit of the church they're looking for yet. Invite them. Maybe we're not the church for them, but maybe we are. Take the chance. Go out and, and give that person that invite card. The third person to bring next Sunday for Easter Sunday is somebody who used to go to church here. Maybe there's somebody on your heart that you're like, man, I wonder whatever happened to so-and-so. What, whatever happened to so-and-so? Well, sometimes so-and-so left because God moved them on to another church and, and praise God and celebrate that they've got a church family. Sometimes so-and-so left just because they slipped through the cracks. Sometimes, and not just that, can I tell you there's people, I, I went to a funeral a couple of months ago, and I sat next to a guy who's come to City Church three times in two years, three times. And as I sat next to him at this funeral, he immediately shakes my hand with the biggest grin on his face, and he turns to the person next to him and says, hey, I want to introduce you to my pastor. And I'm like, how am I your pastor? <laughs> I didn't even, like, if I'm your pastor, you're in bad shape, man. Uh, but, but as far as he's concerned, City Church is his church, and I'm his pastor, and he just hasn't been here in nine months. Uh, so th there are people like that who, who just because of work, because of situations, because of time, man, that they're just not in church right now. Let's go get them. There's somebody that you know that you're like, man, I miss that person. I miss being a part of their life. Again, now if they say, hey, I'm connected over at so-and-so and I'm serving, praise God. We're not trying to steal people from people's churches. But, man, let's go after the people from our own flock, the people that you love, the people we already have relationship with. Number four person to bring to Easter service, somebody who's going through a tough time. They got a situation in their family, going through a divorce, just lost a job, whatever that might look like, you can fill in the blanks, but who do you know that's just in a rough season right now? Who do you know that, that's going through a rough time, man, and, and they need somebody to come alongside them. They need the encouragement that comes from the word of God. They need the encouragement that comes from worshiping with the people of God. Who's going through a tough time in your life? Number five, and this is the, the challenge. This is the tough one. The first four should be pretty easy for you to go out and find those. Number five, I want, you to, I want to dare you to bring somebody to Easter service that right now you don't know. I want to dare you to step out in faith. The worship team is going to come down. Don't worry about them. Just stay focused on what I'm saying. I want to dare you to find somebody that you don't know. Maybe that's the, the, the clerk at Kroger. Uh, maybe that's somebody that you bump into at a restaurant this week. Maybe for most of us, I hope this is it, is somebody you meet at Mission OB. And as you come to serve Thursday, Friday, Saturday, that there's somebody from the community who God puts in, in your path for you to minister to, for you to encourage, for you to tell about Jesus. And you're going to put an invite in their hand. You say, man, would you come and worship with me Sunday? Maybe you tell them, hey, I'll meet you at Starbucks at 9 and I'll buy you some coffee. And then we'll come over here. Man, go the extra mile, but, but find a way that if each of us look through this lens and find these five people and, and we put it out there in faith and we make it not just a, hey, maybe if you don't have anything going on, you come to church with me and see you later. I mean, like a passionate, bold, like, like you go for it. Like you really believe that their life could be changed Easter Sunday. Like you really believe that eternity could be impacted. If we'll each take that responsibility, then I believe we're going to be well on our way to start creating a party.
to building a celebration, to seeing God do something awesome and amazing in our midst. So come to Mission OB. If number five is really, really intimidating to you, you'll meet somebody at Mission OB. If you don't come to Mission OB, then you're on your own for number five. Good luck. Find them. But if you come to Mission OB, we're going to make it real easy for you to bump into somebody you don't know and have the opportunity to say, you know what, why don't you come worship with us on Easter? Why don't you just come and see what God can do in your life? And again, if they're like, no, I'm plugged in at such and such a church, great. That's not the person for you to bring. But somebody else that God has for you that you don't know, that he's going to use you to touch their life. What if you came next Sunday and somebody who you didn't know today got saved because of you? What would that do to your faith? How would, how would the Holy Spirit breathe on the fire in your heart if God used you to bring somebody out of hell and into heaven? I believe it can happen. And we've seen it happen. We've seen what happens when we take on the heart of God and God brings his best. And we don't just say, okay, I'm going to give a couple of invite cards out so my pastor doesn't harass me. But we really take the responsibility and really say, you know what, God, I believe you can use this opportunity to change somebody's life. If you'll do that. I believe when you move, when you bring, God moves. And when you move, God runs. And I'm ready to see God run into our midst next Sunday. I'm ready to see God run into our midst, Mission OB, Good Friday service. As we, as we put Easter eggs out for kids and they run around and trip over each other and push each other down trying to get eggs and all the things that come with that. I believe God can move in those kids' hearts. So let's take this responsibility. Let's do this together. I'm going to pray over you that God would put the right people on your heart that he would give you the courage, he would give you the reminders, and that you would walk out what God puts in you and go out and bring these people who are far from him to him. Let's pray. Father God.